This podcast is brought to you by BMJ Best Practice. BMJ Best Practice offers evidence-based, continually updated and practical knowledge that will help you make better clinical decisions. Hello and welcome to this podcast on Venezuelan equine encephalitis virus. Kieran Walsh is my name. I'm clinical director at BMJ. Venezuelan equine encephalitis virus usually causes mild and self-limiting disease in humans, characterized by symptoms that resemble influenza. But it can result in CNS infection with sometimes long-term complications or even death. So we need to have an index of suspicion for this disease. To help us, I'm glad to say that we have on the line Dr. Stalin Vilcaramero, Assistant Professor at Stony Brook University in New York. So, Dr. Vilcaramero, you're welcome. Let's start by asking you, what exactly is Venezuelan equine encephalitis virus? So, Venezuelan equine encephalitis virus is a mosquito-borne virus. It's endemic in several countries of South America and Central America, and it potentially may cause outbreaks. Fortunately, uh, in the last years, we didn't hear anything about outbreaks, but it is very common to develop dengue-like illness in these countries. Okay, thank you. And how would you recognize a patient who is affected? The most common presentation is a patient with acute, undifferentiated febrile illness, or you can say dengue-like illness. Uh, this is characterized by fever, myalgia, arthralgia, uh, abdominal pain, malaise, and so on. The other presentation, and is not very frequent, is encephalitis. Okay, thank you. And what tests might you request to confirm the diagnosis? This is important because it depends on the epidemiology in the place where you are working or you are living. Usually, if you are in South America and Central America, you can start uh, asking for PCR, uh, specifically for Venezuelan acquired encephalitis, but you may consider the prevalence of the other arrovirus and also leptospiroses and malaria. Okay, thank you. And s- staying with uh, Venezuelan equine encephalitis virus for the moment, I wonder what is the mainstay of treatment of this infection? Unfortunately, there's no specific treatment and everything depends on the hydration or the care support. I mean, hydration is important since the, the, the disease starts, you can start advising the patient to hydrate as it were a dengue case. You know, usually when you treat a dengue patient, you're going to advise hydration. So I wonder, are patients infectious and do you need to isolate them? No, you don't need to isolate them. And so only you need to treat as a similar to a dengue patient. The, the most important consideration is to see if they have warning signs. Similar with dengue patients, you know, warning sign, I mean, uh, MRI manifestation, uh, neurological signs, or severe prostration, and all of them, for example, are important. If the patient develops that, you need to consider hospitalization, or you need to consider to intensive care unit, depending on the clinical evaluation. 
Okay, thank you. So you need to watch out for warning signs that the patient could deteriorate. Absolutely. Okay, great. Thank you. And I wonder, is it a reportable disease? It's not mandatory in all the countries, but we consider that this is very important. Why? Because this virus has been associated to several outbreaks. I mean, it could be in a sporadic case, but sometimes it can be the, the beginning of a no, large outbreak. That's because we recommend to uh, notify this, to report. Okay, thank you. That's, that's clear. And besides dengue fever, what are the other differential diagnoses? The other differential diagnoses are the other arboviruses. I mean, for example, myarovirus and chikungunya virus. The important is because they might cause cross-reaction and maybe this can uh, interfere with the serological diagnosis. Okay, thank you. And are there any pitfalls in the diagnosis or management of this disease? One of the most important is that people is going to confuse this diagnosis with dengue-like things. But as I said, it's in some way an advantage. Why? Because when you treat a dengue patient, usually you consider warning signs according to the guideline. For example, in the Peruvian Amazon, one of four hospitalized patients due to suspected dengue disease is a Venezuelan equine encephalitis case. So uh, usually when you treat a dengue patient, you consider warning signs, hospitalization, uh, proper hydration. And so this is going to be good for, for the therapy of the Venezuelan equine encephalitis virus infection. I wonder, are there any other questions that you get asked about this disease by doctors? One of the questions is what happens when you confirm a case of Venezuelan equine encephalitis virus infection. So try to see if it's a beginning of an outbreak. That, that's because it's important to start an epidemiological investigation. Thank you. Uh, one last question. If you had one single piece of advice to give to a doctor about this virus, I wonder what would it be? Okay, the most important advice is when you see, for example, neurologic encephalitis in endemic areas, I mean, the Amazon of the South America or the Central America, you need to consider Venezuelan equine encephalitis. They usually, doctors consider herpes virus, consider enterovirus, but usually they forget about this Venezuelan equine encephalitis virus. Okay, thank you very much, Dr. Vil Caramero, and thanks to you all for listening. We hope this has been helpful, and we hope that you'll be able to put what you've learned into action to better recognize, report, and refer affected patients. If you want to find out more, click the link in the podcast to sign into BMJ Best Practice or BMJ Learning and look at the content of this and other relevant infectious diseases. Thank you once again. If you enjoyed this podcast, please remember to subscribe and rate us on iTunes.